I'm Diane Hullett, and welcome to the Best Life, Best Death podcast. As part of the third Thursday Body Disposition series, I'm excited today to talk to a specialist about the art and science of embalming. What is embalming? Embalming is when we preserve a corpse from decaying. And in the ancient times, that used to be done through spices and plant medicines. Currently, embalming means to inject materials into the arteries to slow down the decay of the body. If you're interested in the history of this, I've got a really interesting conversation on podcast number 46 with Todd Hera. He's a funeral director who wrote a really interesting book called Last Rites, The Evolution of the American Funeral. So that conversation gives you some of the history of how embalming really got started more fully in American culture and including details about Abraham Lincoln's funeral, which I found pretty fascinating. So today with Monica, we're going to talk about modern embalming. Why do people choose it? Why does it matter? Why is it so important in some circumstances, some situations, and for some families? So uh, Monica's Wi-Fi was a little bit sketchy when we talked. And so I'm afraid the sound is not the absolute best it can be. So bear with us because it's an interesting conversation. And I think you'll like what Monica has to say. So hi, Monica. Welcome. Hi. Thanks for having me. I am really excited about this interview. I've been having conversations over the last year and a half with people about different things regarding body disposition. And I hadn't really had a conversation with a reconstructive specialist or an embalmer. And so, you know, I came to your name because my mom sent me an article from Popular Science that came out recently. And um, I, I just think this is important because I think there's some misunderstandings about embalming currently. And there's there's kind of a, a tendency towards cremation right now. I I was looking up some statistics and saw that in 2021, the U.S. cremation rate was almost 60% and the Canadian rate was almost 75%. So there's a big pull towards cremation, but there is still a big pull and a big need for your work. So when I came across this article and read it, I immediately reached out to Monica and you are a really busy woman. So I'm really tickled that you took the time to talk to me today. Say say something about, you know, what in your experience is this important role that embalming can play for families? Yeah, for sure. Well, I first I'd love to thank you for having me. And also, um, I'll just introduce myself. My name is Monica Torres. I'm a licensed funeral director, licensed embalmer, licensed cremationist, reconstructive specialist, and deserologist. I know that's a lot. But it, I am, I have worked the whole gamut in the funeral industry. I've been a funeral manager. I've worked in the trenches of the prep room. I've been a cemeterian. I've done exhumations. I have a lot of experience, but primarily my uh, focus is on the body itself. And so that's what we're talking about today, right? Yeah. What is embalming and why is this important for families? Who's wanting embalming? Why is it becoming a art and science of the past. <laughs> Here in Arizona right now, cremation is up at 90%. And so we are a state much like Florida where people come and retire and then bodies are either repatriated back to their state of origin or families are choosing to cremate because it's more affordable than shipping a whole body back home. So 
that I think that's a reason why it's so high in Arizona. But we do have this trend of people turning away from the traditional art and science of embalming. And there's a lot of different opinions about why and how and, you know, the value of it and that if it's affecting the environment. So I hope to cover all that in the podcast. I think to answer your question, though, like, why is this important for families? And just, it's a really basic, basic theory is that viewing the body is an essential part of moving along the grief healthy way. Yeah. So by seeing people, I think it registers that they've died. I definitely had four grandparents who all passed in peaceful ways and they were all embalmed. And it was something that as a, as a child and a teen, I remember seeing, and I remember thinking, well, that's, that's them, but it's not them. And there was something like you said, important about moving on based on that reality. Yeah, I think that's a big part of it is, you know, if you've ever covered, maybe you've covered this in your podcasts before, or maybe your future, the science behind grief and acceptance is the first step. So part of acceptance is seeing the person. Seeing is believing. That's what I teach my students. Seeing is believing. Um, the families that I have that come back to the funeral home over and over and over again. They're seeking something years after a loved one has passed. I found that those are typically cremation families who have chosen not to view. And it's interesting to me that my families that choose to calm and have a viewing and they have that expression of grief, grief openly, publicly, accept support from their community and their loved ones, those people move on in a, in a much healthier way and they're, they're the ones, they might send me a car, you know, at Christmas or something, but they're not returning to the funeral home like the cremation families that I find that are struggling with complicated grief. Not all of them, not all of them. There's just, there's a, there's a small percentage that do. Interesting. I find it interesting too, you know, you talk about both the viewing and then also this sense of a service and public grieving. I always think it's interesting when people say, oh, I I don't care. I don't want a memorial. It doesn't matter to me. I'll be dead. And I always say, well, it's not about you. It's about your loved ones acknowledging and moving through this ritual of the fact that you are no longer here. And so in the same way. So yeah, I think it's a really interesting thing. I'd, I don't know when there's a place for no ritual, how does, how does, you know, then how do people move on? It just seems hard to me. Well, we, we were talking about how you, you know, I think what you do is so interesting because it's both a science and an art. So there's, there's this hard science behind it of what has to be done technically to stop a body from decomposing and kind of make it presentable, especially if there's been uh, an injury of some kind of trauma. And then there's this art of making the person look most like themselves. And I love how sometimes you use their own makeup, you know, or you're really trying to return yes. them to this beautiful place to say a little about the art and the science for you. Well, they're both very separate to me and a perfect blend to me when an embalmer is really skilled in deserology was basically cosmology on the dead. So being able to embalm a body technically and preserve the tissue is the most important part. And obviously for 
litigious reasons as well. Um, for funeral homes, it's important that we get that right. But there is this gray area where I, I feel some embalmers, they don't explore and they get kind of stuck in the old way. And that is desirology and the part that families appreciate, in my opinion, this is just my opinion, families don't really understand embalming, they don't know what it is, they kind of know, okay, like, if the body is being, you know, preserved, but they don't know really how long or what it means or how it's done. What families do know is that you got grandpa's part on the wrong side, or that their dad's beard is trimmed the wrong way or mom her eyeshadow isn't put on just the way she wore it yes I love I, I read somewhere about you that like sometimes you take the time to do a full manicure like you just you don't cut corners you want them to be beautiful in their final viewing well, beautiful, yes. I mean, let's be real though, is that death is not really always beautiful. <laughs> it's it it's it's just not. I mean, that's that's why farmers have jobs. But what I am trying to present to the family is an acceptable appearance and a representation of who their loved one was. So giving that person a manicure, a manicure is an expression of we want others to see ourselves, the way we wear our hair. The, the colors of clothing that we wear, the way we wear our makeup, or if we don't. So I really try to recreate that really personal look that the person had in life. That's my goal. That is really, truly my goal is so that even when there's trauma or long-term hospitalization or cancer, that someone is completely unrecognizable to the family, that they can look down and say, that's my mom. I know my mom's hands. She always wore red nail polish. Right. It's got to be a lot of communication between you and families. Do you, do you work mostly by talking to people or from pictures they give? I always ask picture. Do you try to meet as an owner? Many times the families get to meet the owner in most funeral home settings. They meet with the funeral director that's making the funeral arrangement. And the embalmer in the back, in the prep room, is the one preparing her body. So it's very, um, it's not uncommon that families don't meet the embalmer. But I always like to, if there's a, a case that is a special case, if someone's requiring like a really special hairdo, or if they have special instructions about makeup, or if I look at that picture and it's like a glamour shot from 1980, I try to call to the family at least and get them on the phone and say, hey, is this, how, is this really how you want your mom to look? This is your favorite picture of her because what I explain to families is that whatever picture you give me, I'm going just like an artist. I am going to try and create exactly what that picture looks like. So if she looks like she's 30 in that picture, I'm going to be working on some serious filler and injections and lip contouring and stuff like that. So I try to be real clear and have that communication with families so that I can offer them the best possible result and the most positive viewing experience. Yeah, that's great. That's so neat. Um, let's talk a little about how people feel about the environment and embalming. Like I know embalming comes under some criticism for that. What's your take? Yeah, it it really does. And it, it's, it's really sad to me 
my beloved industry, industry is very, very antiquated. It's it's just things are done really old school, and we haven't realized that social media is super important. It's important to reach the public. It's important to out factual information, or else other people put out their own opinions. And that, unfortunately, is what has happened: is that there's a lot of propaganda on the internet. Of, from people who are not embalmers. They're not chemists and they're not embalmers and they're putting out this information that is not factual about the chem itself. So you know, when I first began on my journey to care for the dead, I was super hungry. I attended every embalming conference that I could. I took every class that I could. And I remember sitting in on a, it was a Dodge seminar, which is a seminar primarily for embalmers. It's put on by the Dodge company, which is a chemical company that produces embalming chemicals, supplies, and tools. And there was this lovely woman that came up and spoke. She was an embalmer. And she talked about the impacts of formaldehyde in the environment. She talked about the process um, that the, the chemical itself has in the body. How, how it's processed, the fact that it's natural. A lot of people don't know that. Um, she talked about amazing things. And at the time, it was really hard for me to wrap my head around. I was already starting to embalm. And I was thinking, this is kudawali, like what she's saying. Like, how can this chemical that I find so caustic be not harmful? And it took me a really long time to really absorb the facts and understand the way that formaldehyde is processed in our body, in the earth. And now I get it, but it took a long time. So I'm patient with people when they're saying, oh no, it's horrible and this and that. Well, the fact is, is that formaldehyde, and I'm going to get kind of nerdy on you, that formaldehyde once it comes in contact with protein, it, it coagulates the protein and that's why bodies become red. That's what we want as embalmers. We want that. It's like it's it's locking the cells in time. It's stopping time just for just for a little while. When that happens, formaldehyde is actually neutralized. It's returned back to its natural state. A lot of people go oh, leaching into the environment and it's causing all these problems. It's simply not true. When formaldehyde comes in contact with soil, which has protein in it, returns back to natural form. There is this thought that formaldehyde is leaching into the soil. And I think that comes from our past where arsenic was used, which is a harmful chemical, and it has problems in the environment. So I think there's a lot of leftover for people that thought about, oh my God, it's, it's going into the earth. A lot of things have changed since the 1800s. First of all, we really don't put people that are embalmed like into the earth. We don't really use the and just put, uh, you know, caskets and just put them in the earth. We have vaults now that are created of cement. I mean, they're super sealing, right? Super sealing vaults that protect the casket and the body is inside the casket. It's not realistic. I've done exhumations. It's not realistic to say that these chemicals are leaching into the environment. I've done exhumations of bodies that have been pulled out of the earth 15 years 30 years later, them have put it in the casket. Like it's literally stuck in the casket. Most of those other people are like mummified. They've had a really good embalmer and the bodies are mummified, locked in that preserved state. So 
lot of misconception going on. I think there needs to, this conversation needs to continue. And then the other thing too, is that formaldehyde, it's totally necessary for reconstruction and restoration. I wish that I could offer these services to families who maybe say, you know what, we just don't want to use formaldehyde, but we want our mom to be restored. But it's just, it's not that way. They haven't come up with a comfortable yet that allows us to be able to offer those type of procedures without formaldehyde. The other thing, just some interesting tips and facts. Formaldehyde is found in many different vitamins. It's found in shampoo, it's found in nail polish, it's found in your uh, curtains, it's found in your carpet. It's found in any type of plaster wood product that you have in your house. It's, it's found in some foods um, and it's produced naturally. So if you're cooking cabbage and you're a person that likes to eat cabbage, it was just St. Patrick's Day, we all need cabbage and corned beef, right? Uh, formaldehyde is produced um, when cabbage is being cooked on its own. And the one most, the most fascinating fact about formaldehyde is that our own bodies produce it. So anyone who's listening, I know this is a lot to take in, but consider the facts. <laughs> Right. I think it's easy to jump to conclusions and it's harder to get the facts. That's really, really interesting. Well, you've, and you've always, you've been an innovator in this field, which I think is really neat. First of all, just as a young woman. And I think there's a lot of young women coming into the funeral industry who are really shaking it up in just really good ways that I think are going to change where this goes. But I want to read this quote from you because I love this. One of the things that stood out was this quote, Throughout her training, Torres noticed that other funeral directors were often too anxious to innovate. The stakes are high, after all, and people tend to stick with what they know works, especially when time is limited. But Torres was an eager experimenter. What do you think gave you kind of the courage and curiosity to, to be an experimenter? I'd have to say it was my mentors. I really sought out mentors that were offering services that I was interested in. And so I had two mentors that were really encouraging and would say, you know what, you have the comfort zone. If you want to be able to provide these kind of services for families, you have to step out of that comfort zone and you have to be fearless. And so I've carried that throughout my career is that you have to leave fear at the door. When you go in that prep room, fear, there's no place for it there. You can't have fear affecting your confidence, no matter if you're a beginning embalmer or if you're an embalmer who's very experienced and has, you know, 30 years experience. That stumbling block, I think for a lot of people, it really, it really trips them up. Um, also, the other thing is I've been really fortunate in my career, worked for funeral homes in my early informative years that had really progressive owners that were really interested in seeing what I do and encouraging me to shine in that area. I feel like many embalmers who are starting out, especially are, um, they're really being held back by owners who have, they're kind of in that mindset, like this is the way we've always done it. This is the way we do it. And they really do put a barrier up for embalmers that are trying to do something different or they've taken my class. If I, I want to try this procedure, it's just, a, it's fear. It's fear. It's fear of disappointing the family. It's fear of litigation. It's fear of 
You know, we've never done that before. What if it doesn't work? There's all these different types of fears involved. So I think for me, it was finding the right mentors and um, leaving fear at the door. Like I said, you just wrap it up in a little ball and it'll be there for you when you get back. <laughs> March in there and do your work. Well, you are now being a That's mentor right. to others. You're you're now, I think a really important part of your job is teaching. And say a little bit about where you teach and how you teach. So I teach online every other week. I host a class, some for the public, some for professional embalmers. And I opened up a new studio here in Tempiers. And we teach classes as need, like whenever people have the time, you know, people are very busy. When they get a moment, they call me, they say, hey, I need to get in on this date. We make it happen. Many fly in embalmers from other countries who have flown in and we're hosting our grand opening on April 20th. So yeah, we do in person and online training and I'm trying my best to be available and offer mentorship to as many uh, embalmers, but I really do like working with our female population. Yeah, I love that. And you, I think that, you know, your comment earlier about how the kind of old school funeral directors, not that we want to lump you in a, you know, a box, but some old school funeral directors aren't seeing like where it's headed. And I love that you've got your eye on the future and you see social media as this huge platform for education and information, not just for up and coming embalmers, but also for doulas and end of life educators and the public. So say a little about how you got into, um, you know, Instagram and give us your Instagram name. You can find me on Instagram at cold hands hosts, H O S T S. And I basically, I got on social media when I opened my company, knowing very well that if you don't have a social media, your business basically doesn't exist to people. So I knew that I had to do it. It was uncomfortable for me because at the time, funeral providers, death care providers were not on social media. And still to this day, a lot of funeral homes discourage their employees from aging on social media. But at that time, I was like, you know what, I'm just going to do this. And I started providing the public with public education through my embalming tips on Twitter. That was my first account that I ever had. And I've been doing it ever since. I believe I started in like 2012. And every Sunday since 2012, I've been releasing an embalming tip. So those embalming tips have led to other things. And now there's a, I have an ebook with some embalming tips. And people just really seem to love it. I've always been an advocate for public education. Always. I feel like the more you know, the more you know, especially when it comes to funeral service, where you can't really find a lot of that online. It's important when families are going through this process that they have the most resources um, in their toolkit. It's, it's everybody's going to die. It's not like you get to choose like, well, some people get to choose whether they're going to buy a house or they're not. You get to choose whether you're going to buy a car or you're not, whether you're going to go to college or you're not. All the major expenses that people have in life. Do that. It happens to you as well. So, having those tools and the education for the public, super important. I'm I highly, 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 and I encourage the professional that I teach, doulas, moms, let people know your skills. 
let people know where you shine so that they know where to come when there is a death. They know who I love that, Monica. And I think, you know, you don't know what you don't know. And I think I always find it fascinating that this is the one place, like you said, that we really, we don't think that much ahead. We're just, we're slammed with grief. Somebody we love died. And then we're scrambling to figure out which funeral home and what they wanted done. And what does that even mean? So we're making these big decisions in the midst of this emotional state. So to me, it's always fascinating that people they don't want to learn about this ahead of time. And I tell people, learn about this 30 years before you need it. Learn about this five years before you're going to have to go through this with your mom, but learn about it so that when the time comes, you've already got some vocabulary and some comfort level with it. I, th I think that's just so huge. I love that Elua Arthur, we're going with Grace, just visited you. And um, I think that just speaks to this network of a newer funeral industry. And some people call it a positive death movement, or a, I think of it as just an educated citizenry, right? Like facing this human thing that we all face. And as you said, we can face it educated, or we can know what we know, we can learn ahead of time. Yeah. And it's, it's really to see families go through that because for me, unfortunately, it's something every day and it's hard to, I have all this, like spill it all in one sitting, it's a lot to digest, especially when people are grieving. Um, I would say the one thing at least that I've noticed is when families are faced with that horrible time and the funeral director is asking them, is it okay for us to proceed with embalming? And the family typically, they're like, I guess, but I don't know. Like it, funeral directors are trained to ask that on the phone with the first call of death. So when we get a death call, we are trained. <laughs> I mean, it is drilled into us in mortuary college and at the funeral home. That's what you get. You get the personal information of the deceased, the next of kin, and you get authorization to embalm. Now, it's not that funeral directors are wanting to push that service. It's that we are highly scrutinized by the FTC. So there are laws that we have to follow as funeral directors in order to be able to do our job lawfully. And that's one of them is to ask for embalming permission verbally and we also have to get it in writing so when families call and they say and the funeral director says do i have permission to embalm many families have not thought that far ahead okay they haven't thought about it they're like well, uh, we uh, we're still at the hospital our grandma just died we don't know well here's the thing and these are for your listeners and for the doulas that educating embalming is always most successful when it occurs closest to the time of death that's why historically embalmers and funeral homes offered offered ambulance service. They would pick up the body and then they would take the body straight back to the funeral home and embalm immediately. And it's because we get the best possible appearance of that loved one as close to the time of death as possible. So families may feel rushed. They feel it's kind of one of those things where they're like, why are you asking me this? But it's, it's because we want the best for you. We want the best for the families. We want the best possible appearance. So that's why we're asking for embalming authorization. It's important for families to consider upfront, is that something that you're gonna want? Because if it is, then you need to say, yeah, go ahead. And if it's something that you don't want and you're not interested in, then that is the time to say, you know, we're gonna forego money at the time. Right, which goes back to the pre-planning, the information, 
the the I always think of it as just have these conversations, you know, and I always tell people it yeah. is this isn't really one conversation. This is multiple conversations over time, getting comfortable with this idea and getting information like you've offered us today that kind of um expands your perspective, you know, whether you come to this podcast thinking, oh, I definitely don't want embalming or, oh, I definitely do want embalming. The point is to think about it, get educated and keep bringing up the topics so that your loved ones know and you've thought it through. And I think of it even as, as like seeing my blind spots, like what do I not know that I might want to know more about? So, well, I just, I'm thrilled that you're on the scene and um, out there doing podcasts, doing your work being a mentor, I love that you teach online. And so you really are taking this international and national. People have access to you, which I think is just super cool. So I've been talking with Monica Torres. And why don't you give us your website and where to find you? Yes. Yeah, so I'm the most easily accessed to my Instagram, which is at Cold Hands Host. And in the link in bio, you can find my website. You can find my scholarship for hopeful uh, female funeral directors. You can find my book. Everything that's Monica Torres is in that link in bio and my Instagram. But all my platforms, you can find information and access to me through my website, um, which is www.nextgenmortuarysupport.com. I'm very active social media, so I want to encourage your listeners to reach out to me on Instagram and say, hey, I heard you on Diane's podcast. I'm here. Like, I'm your new follower. Or I've been following you. I heard it. So that is probably the best way to get in contact with me. Know that my link and bio is updated regularly, and our courses and events are always available there. And just a secret, your listeners, if you follow my Instagram story, I post discounts there all the time it's kind of a secret my newsletter and my story that's where you get the fancy discounts if you want to take classes and you're you're a super saver like me <laughs> there's a there's an opportunity for you there you got it you got to sign up for the newsletter you got to click the bell in the story on my instagram but you'll find some really neat information there Fabulous. I love the secret tips. And I'm just going to point out, she has 28,000 followers on Instagram. So, you know, you really will have to like wave your hand to uh, get noticed. <laughs> so great. Well, thanks, Monica. I appreciate this so much. Thanks for joining me today. Thanks, Diane. I'm really humble. I'm really thankful to be invited. And I do have a lot of respect for the doula community. So this is just a beginning of a journey for me to help us reach their goals, helping families. And it's just another chapter in my journey to care for the dead and comfort grieving. So thank you so much. Beautiful. Thanks so much. You've been listening to the Best Life, Best Death podcast with Monica Torres and Diane Hullett. Thanks for listening. Mm -hmm.